You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Well, this week, if you're joining us for the first time or if you haven't been with us, we've been working through a series called The Seven Seas of History. And this series is one that was really put out by Answers in Genesis, at least the framework of it. I didn't copy any of their messages, but uh, the idea of the seven seas of history comes from Answers in Genesis, which I encourage you to write that down and look them up on their website. It begins with creation. We talked about creation first. We dealt with the fact that God in His great mercy and grace brought into creation in six Seven literal days of creation. Um, And then we dealt with corruption for a few weeks. We saw the sins of mankind and how Adam and Eve broke the law of God and life for you and I has changed because of them. We saw Adam and Eve and the fact that they were duped by Satan. They had bought the lie. And they were removed from the garden as a blessing from the Lord. But yet the generations to come would eventually become nothing but evil. And while there is evil, we should understand that throughout the Old Testament, even in the midst of evil and sin, God was working, God was moving in what we call the progress of redemption for which God before the foundations of the world, being an all-knowing God, knew exactly what would take place in that garden and what would unfold as He began and progressively brought about a method of deliverance and salvation for all the human race. Because if you have not been told, we humans, male and female, have a problem. And it's a sin problem. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. It has been death. It is death. And it will always be death. And unless corrected, the reality is, is you and I will spend eternally separated from a God in a place called hell. And that is not God's desire for you and nor for me. For He wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That is the heart of God. Man messed up, and God has delivered a way out. And there is no greater picture than the totality of that than what we find here in this account of the flood. We've looked at creation. We've looked at corruption. And today I want us to look at catastrophe. We've finally made it through all of those But I need you to keep in mind that the reason that God flooded the earth was because mankind was corrupt. They had become evil. And we cannot lose sight of that throughout the flood. Man was evil and God had enough. And so that brings us to catastrophe, the flood. In the full context, we see the flood as taking place really through three full chapters. Chapter 7 teaches us about the flood itself. Chapter 8 
teaches us about the flood as it begins to subside. And chapter 9 teaches us about the covenant of the rainbow, which has been robbed in our day. And God promises never to send forth a flood again to wipe out the human race in a worldwide flood. doesn't mean it's not going to flood in localized areas, but there will never be another flood like what we see here in this chapter 7 of Genesis. He promises by way of rainbow that He would never do that again. I can't help but in the midst of this be reminded of God's grace. Because I can promise you we need and deserve the same thing that happens here in our day. But God in His grace. God in His mercy. Praise the Lord for the promise of the rainbow, right? We are not some perfect people by any means. I don't know how bad these people were, but we are living in a time when sin is no longer hidden. It's flaunted. And it's flaunted without any fear of God at all. And you just have to ask yourself, how long, oh Lord, will you allow this to take place in many churches, in many communities, in many states, and across our nation, and across the globe. I can't help but in the midst of this be reminded of my own failures, my own sin, my own need for redemption. And it should be really, this morning should be a time of reflection on the grace and the mercy of God, but also on our own sin. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. That includes every single one of us. If it were not the righteousness of Christ in us, we would have none for those who are in Christ. As I began to look at this flood, I, and just what Scripture was teaching and communicating through these events of this worldwide catastrophe, I thought about giving three points. It began to rain, and it began to rain more, and it began to rain a lot more. But I figured that would be silly. And so I want to look at Genesis chapter 7, at the very beginning of the stages of the flood. And so we'll be looking at Genesis 7, 1 to 5. And here are three main points that I want for you to see and understand and leave with grasping this morning. First, I want you to see that we see God's invitation. Secondly, we see God's instruction. And thirdly, we see God's intentions. We see His invitation, we see His instructions, and we see His intentions. So let's look at Genesis 7, 1-5 if you will. He says this, Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all of your household, for you alone have seemed to, seemed to be righteous before me in this time. 
You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female. And of the animals that are not clean, two, male and his female. Also of the birds of the sky by seven, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of all of the earth. Verse 4. For after seven more days, I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing I have made. Noah did according to all the Lord had commanded him. That, that brings us to the first point. And the fact that we see God's invitation. This morning I want us to see that God in His grace gives Noah an invitation. There is a great parallel between the flood for which we see in Genesis chapter 7 and the second coming of Jesus Christ. There is this great parallel. We can't get away from it. Here we see God is about to send a, a flood that will wipe out everyone, all of humanity, by which and for whom which He has created. And we see also those that will be spared by His grace. It says in verse 1, Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. Here God's plan is unfolding before this man Noah. Noah has been faithful. He has been a proclaimer of truth. He was considered a preacher of righteousness. And he follows God's plan of deliverance, of salvation. All the way from Genesis 3, verses 13 and 14, where it says, The end of all flesh has come before me. I mean Genesis 6, 13 and 14. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark. Then he continues with details about this giant boat that was to be built. And what we find is that Noah obeys. He shows true faith by his obedience. And as I looked over this, I was kind of gut punched by the reality that God sees faithfulness as it relates to our obedience. You see, it's one thing to say we believe the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. It's another thing to say we believe that God created humanity and will provide a way. It's another to profess Christ. It's another thing to live out that faith in obedience. And let me tell you, I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm only 43 years old, but there has never been a time in which I have lived, especially as a follower of Christ, when there have been so many opportunities to disobey God. 
They are at our fingertips. And we have opportunities day in and day out with the opportunity to disobey God and walk in unfaithfulness. God said to Noah, the end all flesh has come. It didn't make sense for Noah to go build some boats. There had never been rain on the earth, but that of a mist provided moisture. So think for a moment. God tells this man Noah to go build a boat that rain was going to fall from the sky. I'm not talking about a 23-foot boat. I'm talking about a big boat that took him a long time to build. And so you can imagine the persecution that he endured as he began to build this boat and people would come by and say, no, what are you doing, man? I'm building a boat because it's going to rain. It's going to rain? Are you kidding me? But he was faithful, even when it made no sense. He was obedient. You know, I think that many times as we walk through this life, sometimes it's easy to fail to be obedient because that which God expects makes no sense to us. And so we don't obey Him. That's not what we see in this man. We see this man called by God to do something awkward, and by faith he obeys. Noah was faithful in following the directions. And here we see God giving him an amazing invitation now to enter the boat by which he has built. Why is this important? God gives him an invitation. Because this boat by which he has built is going to be the means that will save him and his family. This boat was his place of safety. And without this boat, he would be like the rest and drown like the rest of the world. Noah could have followed all of the directions. He, he could have done A, B, C, and D. He could have built the boat and to the right measurements. He, he could have done exactly what God had commanded him to do. But if Noah fails to get in the boat, to accept the invitation of God, then he would die like the rest. And he would have perished like all the others. Listen, God's invitation to Noah was his means of salvation. And you better bet he got in the boat. Why? Because he had trusted God. He had trusted God enough to follow the rules and be obedient and build the boat. And he trusted enough for when God said it's time to get in the boat, to get in the boat. And I wonder throughout all of this process how often Noah said, the flood's coming. The flood's coming. Wrath, death is on the horizon. And I'm building an ark. 
And the ark is your means of salvation. And now God says it's time to get in the boat. Let's go, people. Let's get in the boat. And they failed to. God's invitation was His means of salvation. He believed God in spite of what others thought. And let me tell you, we are living in a day that we are called to believe God in spite of what others think. Can I ask you a question this morning? Whoever you are, wherever you are, do you know that God has given you an invitation by means of which you can be saved, delivered, rescued, saved from the storm that is on the horizon? Listen, you can be a good person. You can dress sharp, fancy clothes, nice ties. You can go to church every Sunday. You can read your Bible. You can pray. You can give of your tithes faithfully. You can read your Bible. You, you can do all of these things. You can give to the needy, support missions. But know this. If you fail to accept God's invitation for safety, His method of deliverance that He has offered not only to you this morning, but all who would receive this message, you will perish just like those that did in the flood. Just like in the time of Noah, God's safety was an ark. It's a great picture, isn't it, of who Christ is for you and for me today. The ark was a type of Christ, an image of what and who was to come as God's means of salvation. Jesus is not a boat. But He is the means. He is the method by which God from before the foundations of the world planned that you could be delivered and saved and set free from the wrath to come. Because I promise you, the day is coming when it will be too late for you, my friend, to get in the boat. And my desire, my hope, and my passion, and why I do what I do is so that you will stop playing the games like they played then, and you will place your faith in Jesus Christ so that when the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, when He bursts through those clouds, you, my friends, will be delivered. They thought he was the crazy man. It comes to find out he ain't the crazy one. Enter the ark. God tells Noah. And God is calling you today 
what we find here in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and many, many are those who enter by it and narrow is the way and few are those who find it. This ark is a type of Christ. God did not force Noah into the boat. He gave him an invitation. And listen to me very clearly. God will not force you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your salvation, as means for which you can be delivered. But He will give you an invitation. And I believe He has offered it to you today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the appropriate time. Why is it so important? Because He has given you and I lungs, uh, breath in our lungs so that we can respond to the grace that He has offered. If I am right, and I believe I am, the means of salvation that God is offering you today if He comes back before you put your faith in Christ, you will highly regret it. You will be of most disappointment. But God in His great mercy today has brought you here on purpose, by accident. Maybe someone invited you. Maybe you're online. You just happened to cross the link. But deep down inside, you know you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, that He is the means by which you can be saved and enter into eternity with God, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've been plugging along, trying to get it right, but you know what? You can't. Don't get discouraged. Nobody can get it right all the time. That's the beauty of the Gospel. Because He got it right. Jesus Christ got it right. And He paid for your sin on the cross at Calvary that you might be set free. God gives you the invitation this morning. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says you shall be saved. Have you accepted today God's invitation unto salvation by grace, through faith, in Christ alone? It ain't your deeds. Because the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. It ain't your works. Because Jesus says your greatest works are filthy rags. It ain't your acts of righteousness. For Titus 3.5 says that it was God's grace, not the deeds which you've done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. It isn't your efforts, because Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, lest no man boast. And you know as well as I know, we live in a generation when kids get participation trophies. If you could work your way to heaven, my friend, you would wear a medallion around your neck, claiming, look what I've done. But if it was that simple, then Christ did not need to die, did he? But Christ did not die meaninglessly. No, Galatians 2.20 says, if you could be saved by keeping the law, doing A, B, C, and D, 
doing good deeds, then Jesus didn't need to die. You just needed to be good enough. The problem is you can't be. And so Christ had to be. One day, just as the rains came and fell upon that ark and those people, and the floods began to rise, so will the Son of Man come. And the ramifications of our choices that you will make will be just like in the days of Noah. When I was real young, little bitty fellow, Tony, I think he's probably in the back, but Tony on the drums, I've known him since I was a little bitty fellow. And we came up with a little rap song. God told Noah that the earth would be flooded. Animal came in pairs and some was cold-blooded. But Noah and his family set out to sea and all the bad people were screaming, save me. And Noah said, no, you should have said your blessings and now you're going to learn a very good lesson. Now that ain't very theologically sound. But the reality is, as young men, God was teaching us a lesson even before we knew. Listen, the flood is coming. The wrath of God will be revealed from heaven. And the question is, will you be delivered or not? It's time to make a choice today. Not tomorrow, not next week. Because there is nothing on the eschatological time frame that will prevent Christ from coming back at any moment. It may take place in the middle of this message. And when it takes place, it will be too late, my friend. So why wait? Why push it off another day when you can accept Christ today? Get in the boat. Find your way to Christ. For He has drawn you to Himself. Today He is calling you. Repent and believe the gospel. God is coming. And death will spread to all those who are not in Christ. Just like all those who are not in the ark. Would you accept the invitation today? We see God's invitation. But secondly, we see God's instructions. Verse 2 and 3. You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean, two, male and his female, also of the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of all the earth. So what we find here is God, again, giving very specific details and instructions to bring uh, with Him into the ark, such as clean animals, such as unclean animals in the birds of the sky. You may ask, why all of these? Well, He kind of tells us to keep offspring alive on the face of the earth. But the real simple answer is this, because He said so. He's God. He's created all of humanity. He's created you and me. He creates every human being in the womb. He is the creator of life. And therefore, He is in sovereign control. 
If I create something, I determine its purpose. You don't get to determine that which I create. I am the inventor, and therefore I determine the purpose. You may use it for some other purpose, but if I invent something, if I create something, and I make it, I determine what its purpose is for and how it's used. God has created all of humanity. He is in control. He is the sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. And God has a purpose for doing everything that He does and for asking us to do what He calls us to do. And while we may not understand it, while we may not know it, we are called to obey Him who has authority over us. In our day, we don't like authority. Don't tell me what to do. I'm my own God. God doesn't work that way. You may think you your own God and God may allow you to do those things you want to do, but I promise you if they contradict that which God has called you to do, the end result, you will be where you don't want to be and you will accomplish that which you don't want whether you think you do or not. Listen, you can push God away and have great success in your business. You can push God away and you can have great clout and prosperity and popularity at that. The reality is, is God determines what you ought to do and what you ought not to do. God is a God of order and God is a God of purpose and He has an intention for everything that He does and for everything He asks us to do. He knows your needs and He also knows your greeds. And He has a purpose for asking us to do the things He calls us to do. Like he says, love your neighbors as yourself. That may not seem like a big deal unless you've got a nasty neighbor. He still calls you to love. Why? Because he's God. He calls you to repent and believe the gospel. Why? Because he's God. And that's the means by which he offers salvation. Turning from your sin and turning to God. It's an act of the will. It's not some emotional experience. Repentance takes you and your intentions of turning away from your sin and turning to God. And it's by His grace that you were even able to do that. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. And yet many Christians live their entire life and they never share their faith one time. If it's good news, doesn't everybody need to hear it? I mean, let's just, for a second, there's a boat outside. The floods are coming. If I said, go get in the boat, it's going to flood. Is that good news? Yes. It's good news that you know there's a flood coming. It's bad news if you reject getting in the boat because you think you know more than what I know when I'm telling you, I'm simply telling you what God says. And so far, everything that God says in His Word is true. So why would I doubt what He's got to say now? So He says, do this and do that. It's because He's God and we are not. His ways are higher than our ways. When God says do something His way, don't try to do it your way. Do it His way. 
Because the end result will be beneficial for you. He created you. He knows how it works. He knows your inabilities. He knows your insecurities. He knows your incapabilities. Because He fashioned you in the womb. And He breathed into your nostrils the breath of life. He gives instructions and it's our job to obey while understanding that God has the bigger picture in mind. We can't see anywhere close to that picture. Listen, I remember coming here to this little country church and every one of my mentors said, don't do it. Don't do it, brother. But we prayed about it. And we felt from the bottom of our heart, this is what God wanted. I had no idea why. It certainly wasn't a good move provisionally. But God in His great mercy. <laughs> to think now there's a room full of people in here and a uh, standing room back there. And who knows how many last week there was 500 people live. Who would have ever thought? But when you obey God, God does great and mighty works. He takes the foolish things of this world to shame that which is wise. And I promise you, if you will just trust Him, that He knows and He has your best interest at heart, then be obedient and respond to the grace that He is offering you this morning. We need to simply be reminded that God is God and we are not. We need to be doers of the Word, not merely hearers of the Word. We all have a place in which you are called to trust God. There are times in your life that, that only you would be able to trust God in those circumstances. I mean, if we look from the Old Testament and the New Testament, think about all of the people who trusted God. Moses trusted God. Go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Huh? Not me. You got the wrong guy. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not a man of good speech. <laughs> That's all right. I got your brother and I got your back. Noah, Gideon, King Asa, as he stood before the multitude of the Ethiopians, was dead. There's no way he could have defended the million and a half people. But God routed them and he never had to do anything but stand and trust. King David, the Apostle Paul, do you think he had to trust in the Lord when he was stoned and left for dead and gets back up and goes back into the same city to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? The disciples... All of those that have given their lives for the sake of the gospel. You must trust God. No matter the circumstances, no matter how hard it is. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Every bit of your being with your mind and your soul and your will. Lean not on your own understanding. 
But in all your ways, what? Acknowledge Him. The Hebrew word means to know God. And when you know God, that He is all-powerful, that He is all-knowing, that He is all-loving, then it's a whole lot easier to say, yes, sir, Father, yes, sir, Father, even when everybody else doesn't understand. You, you, You must trust God. Noah trusted. Look at Genesis 6, the building of the ark. Verse 14. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set it, the door of the ark, in the side of it. You shall make it a with a lower second and third decks. Behold, I I am bringing a flood of water. He's very specific, isn't he? In the details. Now, what if he would have said, let's just cut it short. You know, kind of like the workers in our day. Just do enough to get paid. I'm just going to do paint the inside. It'll be all right. That'll be enough. We don't have to paint the outside. No, no, no. God was very detailed. In explaining how and what he was to do. He he wanted Noah to follow them perfectly. Why? Because God said so. He knew what was coming. He knew what that ark would need in order to sustain the people within it. And the animals within it. He wanted Noah to follow them absolutely by the book. Listen, what is it this morning that God is calling you to do that is a hard choice? I don't know that answer. I just know that in my simple little life, me, I I can't speak for you, but me, there have been seasons of life where things did not make sense. Lord, is that really what you want me to do? Are you kidding me? Me, a preacher? That's a laughing stock. See, if you don't know me, you just think I'm a man of God. (laughs) But if you knew my past, like Tony knows my past, I know Tony's past too. (laughs) It's the grace of God. It's the mercy of God. And sometimes, my friend, God calls you to do things that nobody else will believe and nobody else will understand because it's God's will for your life. Sometimes you can't listen to the critics. Sometimes you can't listen to your parents because they got it wrong. But God is calling you to do something so that He might Receive the glory, the honor, and the praise. And it's through the Word of God 
that He will reveal the will of God for your life. Anything that contradicts His Word is not the will of God. So if, if somebody's calling you to do something, you feel like the Lord has put something on your heart and it contradicts the Word, no, it ain't from God. There's a lot of that going on today, I can promise you. God told me this. God told me this. God told me to have a revival. Oh, really? You're going to have a revival? Living with a woman you ain't married to? Having sin? You know where I'm going? Don't tell me how holy and righteous we are and what God wants us to do when we're living in habitual sin. Come on, you might fool somebody, but you ain't going to fool God. Stuart, you ain't going to get up here and preach if I have unrepentant sin in my life. And if I do, He's going to discipline me or He's going to take me out. I'm not perfect, but I'm repentant. You're not perfect, but you better be repentant. And I think it's time we start taking this stuff seriously. Because we've made God a laughing stock in 2022. As if this whole Christianity thing is a joke. It's like some superhero television show we watch. No, God is real and He is on the throne and He is coming back. And He is coming back with vengeance on a white horse and He will pour out His pure flaming wrath and justice of Almighty God and it will be too late, my friend. So you better be obedient to what He's called. God has given you and me instructions. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Turn back to God. God gave instructions of what was to enter the ark. How it was to enter the ark. And in the same manner today, He has given you instructions of how to enter into salvation. And it's only through His way one will be saved. And that's why John 14 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is in a good way. He isn't the best way, my friends. He is emphatically the single only way into salvation. There was one door. There was one ark. There was one Savior. And today I want you to understand, Jesus is the door. He is the gatekeeper. He is the ticket by which you can enter into salvation. I get it all the time, Pastor. Are you so narrow-minded that you're telling me that of all the other religions in the world, all the other cults, all of the other methodologies by which Eastern mysticism has entered in, are you telling me, Pastor, that Jesus Christ, God of the universe, who created all these people, there is but one way unto salvation? Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. There was one door. There was one God. There was one way to be saved then. And there is but one way, one door to be saved today, and it is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, many reject this, but so did they. And the rains came from above and the water from below, and they all died. Why are you so passionate? 
because I don't want you to die. And if the house is burning down, I'm going to scream, Get out! (laughs) Maybe what we need is a little more passion in our day for the things of God than a little less passion for the Super Bowl, for your children's sports where you hoop and holler, but when you come to church, you're like this. And if you can't say amen, you got to say ouch. We're willing to get all excited and all happy and joyful about everything out in the world, but when it comes to Jesus, oh no, can't be too serious about that. No, what we need to do is be passionate. We need to call people to repentance. We need to encourage people to be saved because there is a God in heaven who loves them so much that He would offer up His only Son to be killed on the cross that they might have life. There is something to be excited about. If God loved you enough to sacrifice His own Son, because I can promise you, I don't love you enough to sacrifice my Son. Sorry, it ain't going to happen. It must be a God thing. But if He loved you enough to do that, and He has been gracious enough to me to save me, to give me a burning passion for the things of God, then till I die, I will be passionate about the things of God and about the Word of God. And that's what we need in today. Too many Gospels have been created to be more palatable, more embraceive, Offer many methodologies. I'm sorry. The Bible doesn't allot for that. There is but one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. They were eating, they were drinking, they were being married until the day Noah entered the ark and the floods come. I don't know when the rains will begin to fall. I don't know when the floods will begin to rise. But I am promising you today, based off the authority of the Word of God, the wrath of God is coming, my friend. And unless you believe, you will perish for eternity in a place called hell. And if that offends you, I'm sorry. But it is my desire and my hope that you be saved. We see God's invitation. We see His instructions. And thirdly, we see God's intentions. Verse 4, For after seven more days, I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Listen, It is total catastrophe. To the largest scale we've ever seen in the history of humanity. This flood was brought about with divine intention. And it was to blot out from the face of the land every living thing that he had ever made. Do you hear about this God very often today in the modern church? 
He's the same God, my friends. A God that would pour out His wrath and judgment against sinful people. I, I think we've created a false God. An unpalatable God that allows us to call evil good and good evil and be okay with it. We've fashioned in our minds some fabricated Jesus that gives multiple ways unto salvation. No, no, no. His intention was to rid humanity of unrighteousness. And he says in verse 1, For you alone I have seen to be righteous. It was bad. I don't know how bad it was, because I wasn't there. But imagine what we are living in today. And here God says, For you alone I have found. His purpose was to destroy sinful people. Those that were not considered righteous. Those that were not considered what we would call theologically justified, declared right before God. Listen, you were either experiencing condemnation or you were experiencing justification. You were either a child of the devil or you were a child of God. There is no middle line here. There is no fence sitting you either for Him or you're against Him. And God wants you to work this out and to see that you must be justified. You must be declared right before Almighty God. The plans of God in the days of Noah are the same plans of God in the end time. All of the demons and the devil and his followers, listen, in the end will be cast into hell. And those that find some other road other than Christ will come upon a dead end. But hear me this morning, there is a boat. There is a door. There is a Savior. Just follow the Lord's way and find safety. Don't buy into these cultural methodologies which offers you other ways unto salvation because there is a day coming. There is the consummation that is approaching and when He comes back, it will be too late. There is no second chances, my friends. There wasn't for them. And there will not be for you. But like they, the preacher of righteousness proclaimed this message to them and they rejected. And we know that many will reject today. But for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Worry about yourself today. Place your faith in Jesus Christ today. God has given His fair warnings and of intentions. He says in 2 Thessalonians 1, 8-9 that He will be dealing out retribution that ain't a good word. He will be dealing out retributions to those who do not believe God and who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He calls you, and He calls me to heed the warning of obedience through faith. Now that's offensive to those who are perishing. Unless the God of the universe 
gives you the heart to respond by grace. Because the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who will believe, there is no greater joy than to know that God has provided a way for this wretched dude that I am. I deserve hell, my friends. I deserve the pure flaming wrath and justice of God because I am nothing apart from Christ. You have to come to your own conclusion of what you are. But I know that the Bible tells me there is no one who seeks after God, no, not one. And if God is drawing you to Himself this morning, know it is a work of the Spirit of God through the Word of God that is warning you the day is coming. Now you lack one thing. Believe and be saved. Will you obey and be holy before God? Be righteous. Listen, in order to get to heaven, my friend, you must be as righteous and holy as God. You say, how is that possible, Pastor? You just told me that there's none righteous, no, not one, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. Listen, thus, we have to understand that when Jesus came and lived a perfect life, He was sinless. He never sinned. And when He died on that cross, it was as if He took your place, as if He had committed your sin personally so that you and I, as His children, can benefit from His sinless life. It's what we call the substitutionary atonement of Christ. He took your place in mine. And when he was hung there in John chapter 19, verse 30, he said, to Telestai, it's paid in full. You don't have to work. You don't have to do the deeds. He has done it for you. Now you must just believe that he was your sufficiency. That he was enough to save you, redeem you, and change your heart and give you the desires of Christ so that you can be an example for people to follow and point people to the saving Grace of Christ. When we talk about progressive holiness, we should get rid of the words victory and defeat and call it what it is. Obedience and disobedience. And if you come this morning, you are living a life of disobedience. This is for those who are in Christ and you're not honoring God with your life. Listen, the Bible says, 1 John 1, 9 says, If you confess your sins, He is faithful and righteous and forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can look around at each other and go, none of us are righteous. But what we ought to be able to look around and see is people who are honestly, genuinely walking in repentance. And go, you know, I really messed up this week. I didn't treat my wife right. Or I didn't treat my husband right. I didn't treat my boss right. I didn't treat my children right. I responded to that in a negative way. When I had an opportunity to respond in a way that was covered with love and compassion and patience and grace. So how will you respond? In obedience or disobedience? We have been blessed with another day, another year before us. And I pray that as we walk through this, this day and these next days and these next years, that we will be reminded 
of who we are in Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he who knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. When God sees you as a child of God, He sees you as holy and righteous and perfect, not because of what you've done, but because of who He is. I'll give you an illustration. God sent Him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin on our behalf, stained, separated, enmity with God, that we might become the righteous of God in Him. So when God sees me, who does He see? He doesn't see me. He sees the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be, my friend, covered in the blood of the Lamb. He is the door. He is the method. He is the avenue by which God has given you to enter into eternal life. Will you be obedient to His call? Will you call on the Lord today for Christ to be your salvation? To follow what God has laid before us? To believe that God can bring us through whatever it is He has for us? In verse 5, we see the righteous man living out his faith and surviving the flood. As he says here, Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. It wasn't until he did this that he was safe in the ark. You will not be safe from the wrath of God to come unless you follow in the footsteps of this man, Noah. A man of righteousness, a man of obedience that understood well what it was that God wanted him to do. Through the invitation, through his intentions, and through his instructions. So what is it holding you back today? I suggest that if you fail to repent and turn to Christ, then you don't believe that God is coming back. You don't believe the rains are coming. But if you believe this Bible to be true, He says He's coming back again. And when He comes, it will be too late. So respond today. Put your faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that the gospel is enough to save you, my friends. You can profess Christ before men today. Call Him Lord. I plead with you to repent and to believe the gospel and to escape the judgment that we will see on this earth. Let's pray. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.